Hey, thanks for tuning into The Scoop. Before we get started with the episode, I wanted to take a moment to thank our sponsor, Blockset. They've been a big supporter of The Scoop and The Block for quite some time now. Blockset offers the industry's leading digital asset toolkit. With flexibility, security, and scalability in mind, enterprises and developers alike can get to market quickly and efficiently connect to multiple blockchains from one single source API. Go sign up for a free account at blockset.com and start building today. Stay tuned for more information later in the episode. And I also want to give a shout out to Kraken. With Kraken, the cryptocurrency exchange, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or even earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit kraken.com now to learn more. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for tuning into this episode of The Scoop. I'm your host, Frank Chaparro, Director of News at The Block. We've got a very exciting episode for you guys today, folks. We're talking DeFi. And we have none other than Antonio Giuliano, CEO of DYDX, the founder of the decentralized Perp Exchange Protocol. We're very excited to have him on the show to break down not only their most recent $10 million Series B, which had participation from some of the most well-known investors in the space, including A16Z and Polychain. We're going to talk about their version three launch. We're going to talk about what's going on in the DeFi world, what they think is driving the recent growth in terms of volumes, where they see themselves differentiating themselves. And then maybe we'll we'll talk a little bit about, you know, maybe what we're seeing in the centralized world and how those two are interacting and engaging with each other. But first, I want to I want to have Antonio talk a little bit about the project, how he decided to sort of enter into this corner of the crypto market back in, you know, maybe 2019, it wasn't as hot and now this is something that everyone's looking at. Dex volumes are popping off uh, and even as a percentage of centralized exchange, do we call them sex volumes and not necessarily sure <laughs> we can talk about that later maybe but we're seeing them stand at around i think 10 percent. so the dex market is is becoming something to pay attention to mr giuliano tell me about the story how did you guys get here yeah absolutely well first of all thanks so much for having me uh, excited to talk through dydx DeFi, and you know if we get to it the broader crypto market as well but yeah, kind of answering that question, like how did DYDX come about? And maybe I'll start with just a really quick overview of what DYDX is. So obviously we're a decentralized exchange. We're focused on more advanced types of financial products. Currently we have a bunch of different types of products. We have spot trading and margin trading. But the thing we're really focused on going forwards, and I'm sure we'll dive into quite a lot in this episode, is perpetuals. And we're really excited about that market. Perpetuals are just a synthetic product on top of cryptocurrencies that makes it really easy to gain leverage on cryptocurrencies. And you know they're really useful for a wide array of trading. Um, and then they're by far the most popular trading product by volume in crypto. But yeah, kind of answering the question of how did we get here and kind of the background on DYDX. DYDX has actually been around for 
quite a while, at least in terms of uh, by DeFi terms. So we've been around since 2017. And I've been working in crypto since 2015, when I got my first job back at Coinbase. I was one of the early software engineers there, worked on a lot of things while I was there. And that's what really got me interested in cryptocurrency. Had a really great opportunity there to just have a, a good front, you know, front row seat into all the exciting things that were going on in crypto at that time. And that was a really big time of transition uh, in crypto. You know, when I joined Coinbase, Bitcoin was really the name of the game. Uh, it had like, you know, 99% of the trading volume, things like that. And it was really clear to people at that time that Bitcoin was going to be the only blockchain that would ever be interesting. Uh, because if there were ever anything else interesting, of course, Bitcoin would just implement it you know, directly into its own blockchain. And of course, we were wrong. Um, and the main thing we were wrong about was Ethereum. And again, you know, in early 2016, that's right around the time when Ethereum launched. And like I said, we had a really good front row seat being at Coinbase. We had people like Vitalik come and talk to us about Ethereum, talk to us about smart contracts. And I think it took a while for people to really wrap their heads around Ethereum and what it kind of meant and what was possible with Ethereum. But once, you know, I thought about it for a couple of months and really wrapped my head around this fact that you could, for the first time ever, build programs that could execute totally autonomously on the blockchain. That's just a really new type of computing paradigm. And at that time, again, back in 2016, I wasn't exactly sure, you know, what would be the types of things that would be built on top of Ethereum. But it seemed pretty logical that there had to be something that would be really interesting at some point to build on top of Ethereum. So did a lot of thinking, eventually, you know, finalized on starting DYDX. That point that was right around when the first decentralized exchanges were coming out, things like Kyber, things like Zero X, um, that were doing a lot of, you know, obviously spot trading. Spot trading is just, you know, regular old trading, uh, trading like coin A for coin B. And I thought kind of the next logical thing would be just really margin trading and eventually derivatives on top of cryptocurrencies. And that's what we're, we've been working on at DYDX for the past like three and a half years now. Okay, so let's break down the main product for a second. I think many of the folks who are listening, they'll know if they know about any crypto derivative, they'll, they'll probably know about the perpetual swap, which was pioneered by the once mighty BitMEX, right? So let's maybe break down a little bit more about what a perpetual is and then why does someone want to trade it on a firm like or a platform like DYDX versus a centralized platform? Is it for the same reason why you'd want to trade spot on a DEX? Yeah, absolutely. So maybe first, I'll just kind of break down your first question, which is what is a perpetual and why might you want to trade a perpetual on any platform? And then we can talk about DYDX specifically. So like I mentioned before, a perpetual is a type of synthetic contract, which basically tracks the price of some other asset. Uh, so it could track the price of any asset. It doesn't necessarily have to be cryptocurrencies, actually, but we've seen just perpetuals be really popular in terms of tracking the price of cryptocurrencies. So, for example, the biggest ones are like Binance's uh, Bitcoin perpetuals now and Ethereum perpetuals to a lesser extent. And that those are the types of products that are offered on DYDX as well. Synthetic basically means that when you're trading these contracts, the actual coins that you're trading. So if you're, say, trading a Bitcoin perpetual contract, there's no actual Bitcoin anywhere in the contract. It's all just usually collateralized in some sort of stable coin on DYDX. They're collateralized um, in USDC, which is a pretty popular option. And then basically there are contract mechanisms, most notably the funding rate, which we, I won't dive into too much now, 
Um, but you can do some more research on that. And that's just this kind of mechanism which keeps the contract trading at close to the price of the underlying asset. And the main reason you might want to trade perpetuals as opposed to just trading the underlying assets themselves is for the concept of leverage. And you know, all leverage is is basically you can just multiply your gains and your losses on whatever asset you're trading. And you can also uh, go short on different assets as well. Um, and leverage just makes for you know much higher trading volumes, much more liquid markets, and gives traders just a lot more capital efficiency, things like that. Now, kind of getting to your second question, like why might someone want to trade a perpetual on DYDX versus, say, uh, some of the other big centralized exchanges that are out there and that are kind of leading the way in terms of volume on these type of products? I'd say, you know, to answer your question, it's pretty similar to a lot of the advantages of why you might use DeFi in general. You know, a lot of the just general thinking behind cryptocurrency, like owning your own keys, being your own bank. Well, now you can be your own exchange too. And with UIDX, you kind of be your own derivatives exchange, if you will. So for a couple of reasons, it's you know really valuable to trade on decentralized exchanges. First is security. So you know I'm not the first to say this, but it's a lot more secure to basically hold your own keys in your own cryptocurrency wallet. You can trade on DYDX directly from your hardware wallet or you know whatever other setup you have to custody your crypto funds. And again, our, the funds are never held by DYDX, of course, like any other DEX. Uh, they're just custodied in our smart contracts directly. And then kind of the second reason you might want to trade on a decentralized exchange is they're open. They're much more accessible, like all over the world. So DYDX is actually not fully decentralized right now. And we can talk more about, you know, why that is and kind of our plans for full decentralization later. Um, but we do have like some important areas of the stack that are fully decentralized, which are kind of our custody and our smart contract layers. Um, and again, because these smart contracts are just running on the blockchain, they're accessible to everyone like all over the world. And that makes for just, you know, you could be trading with someone who's like in China and, you know, those people could be trading with people that are in Europe. And, you know, that's like pretty different than what you might experience on a lot of other centralized platforms, which are more siloed by jurisdiction and things like that. There are several different market participants that are looking to lead the way in decentralized perpetual swaps. You guys, when we talked to you about your series B, talked about how you guys see yourselves continuing to gain market share, not just relative to sexes, but also relative to some of the other competitors out there. How do you compare yourselves to some of the other PERP protocols? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I think, well, certainly I think TYDX is the best, and I'll kind of give a couple of reasons for that. Um, I think compared to a lot of the other perpetual protocols, for the most part, what I've seen is other perpetual protocols. Um, you know, one of them is literally called perpetual protocol, but that and uh, future swap, I think, are the other biggest ones as far as I know. And those are more based on automated market makers, um, whereas DYDX takes a more traditional order book based approach. And this allows us to get just much more liquidity on our markets. We work directly with market makers. Uh, one of the things that we're pretty excited about with our upcoming uh, V3 launch of our new layer two product which I'm sure we'll talk a lot more about in just a second, is we're starting to work with just kind of like the next step up or like the next tier up in terms of like cryptocurrency market makers. And I think that'll be like a really big step up in terms of the level of liquidity uh, that's on UIDX. But compared with automated market makers, you know, I think um, order books can basically be a factor of like a thousand X or so more capital efficient 
um, in terms of the liquidity they can get out of the same amount of capital locked. Um, obviously, if you have like just a ton of liquidity, like you might see on a Uniswap because they have billions of dollars locked up, you know, they're doing pretty well. But DYDX actually has pretty similar liquidity to Uniswap right now. And we only have, you know, on the platform, say market makers making with on the order of like a few million dollars as opposed to like a few billion dollars. And if DYDX is able to continue to scale and is able, you know, market makers are able to continue to allocate capital over the platform, I think we'll just really see, you know, what we've seen basically every other tradition, like traditional financial market in terms of order books being the dominant way uh, that people trade financial products, especially on markets, and especially for perpetuals where liquidity is especially important. So that's the main way we're different. Um, I also think we just have a really high quality team that we've built out. Um, a team with a lot of experience from traditional Silicon Valley, like top Silicon Valley tech companies. Our engineering team hails from the likes of Coinbase, Uber, Google, Facebook, things like that. Um, so I think, in, I think people will especially see this with our new product um, that we're really pushing forward what it means from a product perspective to be a decentralized exchange. Pretty excited to talk more about the new product, but I really think it's going to be a step up in terms of the UX and the product experience, and is really going to going to approach, if not surpass, the user experience that's available on even centralized exchanges. And if you've used a lot of other DeFi products, you know that you know they're just like light years away from that. But I really think that DYDX is the one that's kind of pushing things forward from a UX perspective, specifically for these more advanced types of financial products. Antonio, that leads perfectly to my next question. Over the past week, I think I've been, well, maybe we've all been grappling with a question about the efficacy of our markets, of our modern markets in equities and in crypto and beyond with the outages we've seen at Coinbase and other exchanges on the crypto side. And then, of course, the clearinghouse problems we've seen at brokers like Fidelity and Robinhood as these meme stocks, which is what we're calling them now, soared into eye-popping stratospheres. So we have like sort of these two worlds where one is nascent and, and sort of coming together and growing that holds and possesses all of these promises that can fix the things that we're seeing in real time play out in equities, which is just you know more transparency, more reliability more security guarantees. This is what DeFi promises, right? But there's still issues with scaling. Can we have large markets running through protocols like DYDX? You guys are working on something that I think you either have launched or will launch, which is Ethereum layer two scaling solutions that, that sort of rely on uh, ZK rollups. Can you talk a little bit about, I kind of, you know, painted a picture going into this question, but the, the question is, you know, break down how these, these layer two scaling solutions help projects like DYDX build out their market. And then maybe we can go into how DeFi can sort of solve for some of the issues we've seen in broader markets as of late. Yeah, absolutely. And thanks for that good question. So I'll give kind of an overview of scaling solutions in general, um, and then talk a little bit more in depth about ZK rollups and DYDX's plans to use them for our upcoming layer two product launch. So this is obviously a really important problem in blockchains, and especially for dApps scalability, that is. That is. 
if you've ever used a DeFi product, you've probably experienced paying extremely high gas fees, especially of late on Ethereum, where oftentimes traders are paying, you know, trading fees of 50 to 100 to literally, you know, hundreds of dollars in fees for a single trade on DYDX. And it's not just DYDX, you know, you're also paying these types of fees often on Uniswap or other types of dApps that you're using. And, and the reason and, for and this, just to just to interject to be clear, yeah. you know, for the listener, right? This is this is the sacrifice to a degree that we pay for, like the computational and and storage efficacy of of these blockchains. Yeah, exactly. That's a great point. Um, but I think it's becoming the case that you know you won't have to pay those kinds of exorbitant fees anymore for the same levels of security and kind of decentralization guarantees. So obviously, this is a really big problem. Like, obviously, DYDX is not going to be able to scale to like Binance or beyond levels if users are going to have to pay hundreds of dollars in fees uh, for a single trade. So this we've been working on scalability in kind of our layer two product for the past six months or so. And the scaling solution that we chose, like you said, is called uh, ZK Rollups. Um, And we're partnering with another top company called Starkware, which is kind of the leader in ZK Rollups, to be able to roll out uh, this new Layer 2 launch. And what ZK Rollups are, are they basically use this pretty new mathematical concept called zero-knowledge proofs um, or Stark proofs. Uh, to basically uh, take a bunch of information, you know, this information could be arbitrarily large. And then what they do is they basically run this magical math on it called a zero knowledge proof, um, which is very complicated. Like, honestly, I don't even fully understand it. Um, There are only like, you know, a couple of mathematicians in the world that understand all of this in depth. But anyways, they take a bunch of information, run this zero knowledge proof on it. And then the thing that you get out of this zero knowledge proof which is kind of magical um, if you're into computer science at all, is this constant-sized data object. And constant-sized means it doesn't matter how much data you're putting into the zero-knowledge proof, you always get out kind of this piece of information uh, that's always the same size. And that's where the scalability comes from. And this piece of information is the proof itself. And this piece of information can kind of be presented to a smart contract that runs on Layer 1 Ethereum, like all the other smart contracts, but it basically proves the entire state of another system, in this case, uh, DYDX's layer two uh, rollup system through Starkware. And again, that's where all the scalability comes from um, in terms of just like taking, say, tens of thousands of trades, running a zero knowledge proof on them, compressing them down to just a really small size and putting that really small thing on Ethereum. Um, and that's where you know you get all of the reductions in gas costs and things like that. Um, so that's basically what we've been working on in partnership with Starkware and what we're going to be launching in just a few weeks now. You know, I'd say just maybe just going over a quick comparison of zero-knowledge rollups as compared to just some of the other uh, top scalability solutions out there that people are excited about. I'd say probably the most notable other one uh, that we considered um, that you know I'm also excited about, um, but I'm more excited about zero-knowledge rollups is called optimistic rollups. And kind of one of the leaders in this field is a company called Optimism, um, and they've been working with Synthetics, uh, which is another uh, you know top like DeFi synthetic company uh, alongside DYDX to basically roll out their layer two as well. Optimistic rollups are fairly similar to zero knowledge rollups, but kind of the difference in optimistic rollups is that in optimistic rollups, the kind of the the prover, kind of the the person that's basically putting the rollup block on chain 
is base can basically put anything that they want on chain, like anything at all. It could involve like it could include like uh, invalid transactions, like things like that. It could include valid transactions, and then in optimistic rollups, what the the that system is basically counting on is that other people are kind of watching the blockchain, and if the prover ever puts in an invalid transaction then kind of whoever's watching or kind of the verifiers can go to the layer one blockchain and can say, aha, like here's a smart contract. I can prove that the prover uh, put in an invalid transaction um, and therefore will roll that transaction back. So this is great and works really well, um, but kind of one of the problems with it is you need time for basically a lot of the provers to look at the blockchain and be able to submit what's called fraud proofs to the blockchain. Whereas in zero knowledge rollups, there is no such thing as fraud proofs. The smart contract itself knows how to verify uh, this zero knowledge proof, this con kind of constant size data object that I was talking about before. And this means that just blocks can be finalized much, much faster. Funds can be withdrawn from the system way faster. You can have a lot stronger cryptographic guarantees, um, again, because it's literally cryptographically impossible for an invalid block to be submitted. Um, things like that as compared to optimistic rollups. And then I'll just finish with the final reason that we are pretty excited about working with Starkware and about building on top of zero knowledge rollups um, is that Starkware already has a good history of running zero knowledge rollups in production. I think they launched their first system in DeFi with a company called Diversify, um, which is another DEX uh, that just does spot trading. Um, but they've been running that in production with basically no issues for the past six months or so. So, you know, a lot of the other layer two solutions that we see, like, you know, say Optimism is in the process of rolling out right now, uh, other layer two blockchains like near Solana, things like that, you know, don't really have this history of, you know, running in production and securing user funds um, and things like that. And that was a really important thing for us when we were deciding on which scalability solution we we're going to use, because we need to scale right now. Like, you know, our users are paying these $100 gas fees. Um, they're really feeling the pain in, in terms of like trying to use a, a product that just is way, way too expensive. And, and I know that and everybody knows that to use. So this is a big problem right now. And we're about to launch this in partnership with Starkware in literally probably like two weeks. Um, so we're almost there um, and excited to ship this out the door soon. For folks who we may have lost from the wonkiness and uh, of this specific section, just bear with me because I want to ask one follow-up about the compatibility between some of these different scaling solutions. Um, how compatible will be what you guys are working on with other protocols if Uniswap and Synthetics are, are using uh, these optimistic rollups? Because that doesn't that kind of speak to this broader point of sort of everyone kind of moving around each other and, and there being maybe a lack of interoperability, um, not only between protocols, but between blockchains and et cetera. Yeah, it's a great question and something that I think a lot of people are thinking about with all these different layer two solutions. Yeah, my answer will basically be that it's tough. Um, it's a very challenging technical problem uh, to make a lot of these layer two blockchains, first of all, work at all. And then second of all, like work with other different types of layer two blockchain scaling solutions. Um, so honestly, like at the start, like probably there's not going to be like that great of interoperability between all of these different systems, say between like Starkware's rollups and Optimism's rollups and, and say like other blockchains like Nira Solana or things like that. Um, and I think we're in this interesting period in DeFi's history where a lot of these scaling solutions are starting to come out for the first time. 
And everybody seems to be, you know, or at least like all the top projects seem to be moving to different ones. Like obviously we're working with Starkware, like you mentioned, uh, like Synthetics is working with Optimism. Uh, I think like Curve or something like that is working with Near um, and the list goes on. Um, so I honestly don't really know what's going to happen in the long term, but I think it'll be really interesting to watch. Like I think there will be a bit of a, Kind of breaking up of a lot of the you know composability of DeFi in the short term, and then we'll really see like how important is that uh, to maintain a lot of the value proposition of a lot of these different protocols. Like, will there be a re kind of centralization back to like everybody moving to the same layer two protocol or not? How we think about this at DYDX actually is probably a little bit counterculture in DeFi or a little bit different. Um, it's mostly driven by my personal view, but. I actually think specifically for DYDX, like composability is not that important, or at least not that relatively important compared with a lot of the other types of uh, DEXs and, and DAPs that you see in DeFi. Um, and the reason for that is uh, twofold. Um, I think, first of all, like we at DYDX try to take a really full stack approach um, to building in DeFi. And what I mean by that is we build everything from the trade execution to kind of the collateralization layers. Um, to kind of the, the back end that powers a lot of our order books and matching engine to the front end to the mobile products um, that will ship at some point. So we really have just, you know, all the way up and down the stack, like we have the capacity to build it all. And we think, you know, by doing that, we'll be able to build a, a, a more solid and, and better product um, in the long term. And then I'd say just the, the last, like the second reason why I think composability is a little bit less important for us is that with synthetics, you can really trade like any type of different asset that you want. Like the only thing that you actually need is some sort of collateral or some sort of store of value that you can put in your smart contracts. And for us, that's just a, a stable coin like USDC. And then based off of that, you can come up with any different type of financial asset that you might want to trade. So if we want to offer a Bitcoin perpetual on DYDX, again, kind of going back to what I was talking about with synthetic contracts and perpetuals before, we don't need, say, a cross-chain solution for Bitcoin. All we need is an Oracle price um, for Bitcoin, and, and we can create a contract based off of it. Um, so I think for those reasons, that's kind of why you're seeing like some of these uh, you know, more synthetic platforms like us and synthetics be really early adopters and kind of first movers uh, to layer two. Um, as compared to a lot of the other just like spot uh, decentralized exchanges such as Uniswap, which really need, you know, there to be tokens on the platform that they're trading on. And if there's not, like, what's the point of using Uniswap? Um, whereas for us, it's like, you know, we can create any asset. That raises an interesting question about the need for all of these wrap Bitcoin things. If we can just trade synthetic Bitcoin perps, does that solve for that other use case? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, I think it, it certainly lessens the need for it um, for those traders um, that are willing to, say, trade some of these more advanced types of financial products like perpetuals. So definitely, at least for us, like that's why we're you know not waiting for, say, there to be like wrapped Bitcoin or something like that on Starkware before we can start using Starkware. Again, all we need is an Oracle price and we can start trading it. I don't think like, you know, synthetics will ever fully replace just spot trading. I think it'll just evolve similar to what we see in the traditional financial markets, where you usually see derivatives volume on a given asset being like five to 10x the volume of the underlying spot market. The underlying spot market is still really important, um, but, you know, we can kind of create derivatives based off of those spot markets. And that's where, you know, all the really big volume is. And that's why we're excited about those markets.
If you're a listener of The Scoop or follow The Block, then you know I am super excited about the future of crypto adoption, especially on the enterprise side. Our sponsor, Blockset, is not only helping to push development at the grassroots level with their multi-chain API, but also at the institutional level. Blockset is built by BRD, the first crypto wallet in the App Store from 2014, and one of the largest in the space today. They've taken the architecture and the knowledge they've gained over the past six years to create Blockset, a robust, reliable, and strategic B2B offering for developers and enterprises. Blockset is enabling banks and other major financial institutions to interface and build with crypto assets at light speed. See just how simple it is by visiting Blockset.com and sign up for a free account today. And I also want to take a moment to thank Kraken, the cryptocurrency exchange. For the last 10 years, Kraken has been known as one of the best platforms for trading crypto online. Whether it's your first trade or your 100th, Kraken has the tools to help you hit your financial goals in crypto. With Kraken, you can instantly buy and sell over 50 of the most popular cryptocurrencies or earn additional rewards through their industry-leading staking service. Payouts are twice a week, and you can earn up to 20% each year. Visit Kraken.com now to learn more. Okay, I promised that we'd sort of zoom out for a bit and juxtapose what we're seeing in this DeFi world. There's a lot of questions that hang over the space about composability, interoperability, scaling. So... When do we start to see these two worlds colliding? And and at what point today does DeFi offer a robust enough alternative to what we're seeing in the traditional market right now? Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. And that's, I, I think the really big thing that it comes down to, at least maybe let's try to tackle like the question of how does like DeFi approach the volumes of or surpass the volumes of centralized exchanges on cryptocurrencies. And then maybe we can zoom out to just like all traditional assets. But tackling the first question, I think the really big problem that hasn't been solved yet is just creating a product that is superior from a liquidity, from a user experience, from a security perspective to that those things that are available on centralized exchanges. And it's tough, like, you know, you're at a real disadvantage and a real handicap when you're building on some of these really nascent kind of new technologies like smart contracts through solidity on Ethereum. And like I was saying, I think some of the layer two solutions just allow you to build much higher quality products. And that's going to be in addition to just reducing the gas fees. I think that's the thing that people don't realize about layer two is it's not just reducing gas fees. There are actually like a lot of other things and a lot of other really important product benefits that you can get um, when you base your decentralized exchange or whatever decentralized application that you're building on kind of a more scalable, uh, faster, lower latency finality blockchain um, or scaling solution. Like I'll give a few advantages for DYDX that are going to be advantages that we get that are not from scale that are not scalability from layer two. Um, for example, we're going to be able to support cross-margining, which sounds a little bit financially complicated, but all this means is you can use one margin account to collateralize any type of assets that you might want to trade on DYDX, whereas on our layer one platform, you had to collateralize every different account or every different asset that you wanted to trade separately. And cross-margining is a feature that most centralized exchanges support already. 
but it was really hard to support on layer one on Ethereum for different scalability reasons. And now we have cross-margining, or we're going to have cross-margining soon, and that's going to be a really big step up in product experience. Another example is just kind of latency of using DeFi apps. So if you've ever used a DeFi app before, um, you know it's it's not instant. So basically, say if you're making a trade on Uniswap, 0x, or, or literally anything on layer one Ethereum, you have to send a transaction to the blockchain, and that transaction you know, m- might take 30 seconds to minutes to mine, and you don't really know what happened with your trade um, until that transaction is actually mined to the blockchain. Um, but with our layer two product, it's really going to be and feel instant, so or as fast as a centralized exchange. So when you make a trade on the new DYDX, it will be instant. It'll feel exactly the same, you know, if not hopefully better than using a centralized exchange. And that's what I think is really going to bridge the gap in terms of getting at least mass adoption for crypto on DeFi is we really have to solve the user experience problems that have been you know, plaguing DeFi for a while now. And that really stem from just the limitations of you know, the, the Gen 1 blockchains like Layer 1 Ethereum that DeFi is built on so far. And then I guess kind of zooming out to you know, tackling just the broader like financial market. Um, I think there are a couple different things that you know could really cause like real mass adoption of crypto. Um, the first thing I think is just trading like more traditional types of financial pro- products um, on crypto exchanges, and this has been tried a lot already, um, and for some reason like hasn't really taken off in a big way. Though I'm pretty excited about some of the things like FTX um, is doing with you know tokenizing different stocks, like tokenizing like prediction markets, things like that doesn't have a ton of volume yet, but I foresee that kind of getting a lot of volume and kind of like the five to 10 year like time horizon. And I think especially a lot of these things will get a lot of volume in crypto on derivatives markets, because again, like say if you want to trade like uh, some type of stock like Apple stock or something like that on crypto, if you're trading it on a derivative market um, or a synthetic market, you don't actually need Apple stock to be tokenized or anything like that. All you need is kind of a price index of Apple stock and you can create a perpetual, you can create options like whatever you want to trade based off of those uh, index prices. So I think we're seeing like one of the really big improvements in the past few years has just been the proliferation of using stable coins as collateral. Um, so obviously the market leader here is USDT, um, USDC and a couple others have come on in a big way in the past few years. But once you have these kind of like dollar denominated uh, stores of value that are really easily transferable uh, between different platforms that are, you know, truly auditable, things like that. um, I think based off of that collateral with that plus kind of derivative products or synthetic products, we'll be able to see just tons of new types of financial products that are able to be traded on any types of assets. um, And it'll all be settled on crypto or hopefully eventually on DeFi. Settlement is something that has been making headlines this this past week, given what we've seen happen out of Robinhood. When you see people tying their issues to their clearinghouse mandates and the T plus two system of settlement, when you see that, does that immediately translate into this is good for DeFi? Or is it more nuanced than that? Or DeFi can solve this? Yeah, I think it's definitely good. Yeah, I mean, that's basically what we've been saying. Um, or, you know, those of us who have been proponents of DeFi for a while now, um, that's like the gist of, I think, what we've been so saying. So break it down to me. Like, why is the current system for settlement and clearing solved for by DeFi if DeFi can't scale? 
I think that's what a lot of people listening might sort of clap back at you with. Yeah, absolutely makes sense. And I think on the the second point in terms of like can't scale, like I would refute that a bit. I mean, I think we're getting there. Um, you know, even with like Starkware, I'm not going to sit here and say that like DYDX can scale to like New York Stock Exchange levels. I don't think we're quite there yet, but I really see like foresee that could like honestly be the case really realistically within the next like five years or so that blockchains will be able to like scale to that level. So, you know, I think at least like if you're not a, a call it like blockchain, like scalability believer, um, just at least like keep an open mind and uh, see what's going to happen in the next few years. I think like especially 2021 is going to be big for scalability. Um, so maybe let's like assume that scalability will be solved um, or at least push forward to the point where it's competitive, competitive with uh, centralized platforms at some point. If we have that, I'd say like the really big advantage of DeFi, and I'm by no means the first person to say this compared to a lot of centralized alternatives, whether it's like BitMEX's matching engine or whether it's some of these clearing houses that you're referring to in, in more traditional finance is that it's transparent. You know, kind of a lot of the underlying mechanisms for how these things work actually are pretty similar, like financially under the hood. You know, say like DYDX's like perpetual funding rate, very similar to how like FTX's or like BitMEX's funding rate works is very similar. You know, DYDX's like collateralization ratios and mechanisms, liquidation mechanisms, things like that are very similar to like BitMEX are very similar to what you might see on a more traditional clearinghouse. But like the important thing is that it's transparent and that everybody knows what the rules of the system are. You know, everybody can look at the smart contracts, can look at the audit reports, things like that, and have a lot of trust in the system. So we don't get things like, you know, say a lot of the stuff we've seen. I don't know if, you know, the, the listeners have been following what's been going on on like Wall Street bets and stuff like that on Reddit. Um, but these like massive like conspiracy theories about like how... Uh, hedge funds are screwing over the common man and stuff like that, I think just really stem from a, a misunderstanding or at, at least like a lack of trust, I would say, in kind of traditional like institutions. A hundred percent. Whereas on, yeah, on DeFi. Because think- folks, you know, folks, you know, they opened up their Robinhood account mm-hmm. and what they want to do is simply buy and sell stocks. They didn't read the fine print that said it's contingent on Robinhood being able to put up the right amount of collateral every single time, you know, regardless of the market conditions and dynamics, they wanted a product and they wanted a service. And there's, you know, not a widespread understanding of the market structure. And so when that market structure doesn't work, people are confused. But I think, you know, to, to sort of, you know, pound the table on this point that I think you're trying to make, the bottom line, I think, of what DeFi presents to your point is this level of transparency. So when things don't work, and maybe we can talk about some of the examples when they didn't work, you at least have the data and can see why. When we see the sort of March blow up that we saw play out with Maker, you can look at the data and see why. You see that it's not you know, some hedge fund picking up the phone and calling Maker to do X. It's because of these underpinning mechanical issues. Yeah, I think that's a great point. And maybe just to finish up, I think the other thing that transparency lets you do, um, especially as a new exchange or a new financial system in all of DeFi is really effectively bootstrap trust. Because if there's this level of transparency, there's this level of auditability, it's not just us at like DYDX Trading Inc. sitting here and being like, 
hey guys, like trust us, we'll do all the liquidations correctly and all of this. We're just some like random 15 person startup. So like, please like come and trust us. We promise. It's like, no, no, like go and look at our smart contracts, like go and look at our audit reports. You know, we have this history of transparency and that just allows people to say, have a lot more trust in, in the financial products that they're using from day one. I think that's a really salient point. Um, we, we talked a little bit about or have alluded to some of the issues we've seen across centralized exchanges. It's almost bringing us back to the Hasleon days of 2017 when exchange outages at Coinbase and the like were commonplace. If you were back there, you know, you mentioned at the beginning that you were one of the earlier engineers. What do they need to do? You know, if, if not obviously pivot totally to DeFi and adopt the model that you guys have adopted, what can they do to, to keep up time up more? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I, I mean, I can only kind of speak of like of, about the like level of architecture that I know knew of from like Coinbase circa 2015, though I think it's like kind of similar. It's certainly a really hard technical problem. Um, and I think one of the like hardest things about the problem is especially in cryptocurrency. And I think like even especially in cryptocurrency compared with the traditional financial markets, just the level of like swings that you see um, in terms of like the price, which translates into just massive like orders of magnitude increases in like transaction and trade volume really suddenly are hard to deal with from like a technical perspective. And I think it, it's not like an unsolved problem, like, you know, the New York Stock Exchange and things like that, or like CME, like build systems that are able to scale to like whatever, like millions of trades per second and things like that. Um, I think it just takes time to do on a new platform. Um, and even things like, you know, Coinbase at this point, like we kind of take them for granted in crypto now that they've been around forever. But like it's like what, like a seven or eight year old like tech company. Well, it's like, I don't know, seven or eight year old tech companies usually like have downtime and go down and things like that. Um, so I think it's just we have to realize that the entire space is like pretty nascent. Um I will say like, you know, one of the potential, you know, DeFi, I wouldn't say like DeFi like solves all of this, though I think it's certainly helpful um, because things do break in DeFi, not everything, but like certain things just like don't perform as well, I'll say in times of stress. Um, so like you brought up the the point of like MakerDAO having an under collateralization issue last year, um, things like that. But at the same time, like the network is always up like Ethereum is always up, like a lot of these more uh, scalable blockchain solutions will always be up. And it's like, theoretically, you can always get a trade through um, if you're willing to pay a high enough gas fee. Whereas say on like Coinbase or something like that, if Coinbase is throwing 500 errors or their servers are down, well, there's not really anything you can do. Um, whereas at least on DeFi, you kind of can at least reason about beforehand, like the types of failure scenarios that there will be. Um, and then obviously people continue to learn a lot as the underlying systems are stressed, as Ethereum has a lot of transaction volume, as gas prices spike into the stratosphere, things like that. And I think we continue to improve. We talked a little bit about scalability and how you guys are solving for that. I want to pivot now to another fun word we like to think about, liquidity. One of the ways we've seen projects across the space incentivize liquidity is through these these governance tokens. You guys kind of hinted at that in our conversation about your previous fundraise. Walk us through how important today a token is for a platform like DYDX and, and how you go about rolling something like that out. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, so first of all, disclaimer um, that we don't have any firm plans for doing a token or anything like that at DYDX at this point. Uh, that said, uh, we are pretty obviously like pretty actively monitoring all of the things. And we're also pretty excited about a lot of the things that have been going on in DeFi more broadly. And of course, um, a lot of that has been driven by just the rollout of both tokens and decentralized governance. I think decentralized governance, too, is equally important as tokens, um, though they kind of go hand in hand um, and that like the growth that that's really driven across the space. Obviously, kind of the the catalyst for this was Compound launching their comp token and, and really rolling that out uh, hand in hand with their decentralized governance platform, um, and also rolling that out hand in hand with liquidity mining. And we've seen liquidity mining just be an extremely effective uh, growth hacking tool. I don't know. I think it's like it's not super novel, but it's just like kind of taking the like VC model, if you will, and kind of like bringing it to the extreme in terms of like literally giving away. A piece of the network um, as incentive to the users of the platform. It's basically what like you know you're doing if you're Uber and you're like raising a ton of venture capital funding, uh, you know, to get like dollars to give away to like riders or things like that, but without the the VCs or kind of like the fundraising. So it's pretty exciting, and I think it's something that's uniquely enabled by tokens um, and by decentralization, and something that we're pretty excited about as well. So I would definitely say that like getting on kind of that growth trajectory that other projects um, that have launched tokens like Uniswap, Compound, uh, SushiSwap, et cetera, are on is something that, of course, like we want to do at DYDX as well. Um, but the the reason we haven't done one, and I guess we've kind of, I, I kind of feel like I've been through this twice because we, uh, DYDX was founded like back in 2017, where, which was basically right in the middle of the like, you know, first ICO boom. And now, you know, that happened and now three years later, here we are and kind of a similar thing is happening uh, in DeFi again. And the reason we didn't do a token the first time and the reason we haven't done a token yet continues to be the same, that I think the way that you truly build a, a massive kind of decentralized platform and a massive like decentralized application is first in emphasis on first, you have to solve the product and you have to make a product that is awesome, uh, that has product market fit. And that users like truly want to use, um, and uh, you know, if you are able to like have such a product, and then you're able to like throw fuel on the fire um, in terms of like liquidity mining or a token or what have you, like that's how you make something that's world changing. I think like people like sometimes look at DYDX and they're like, oh, they must be like super idealistic or like anti-token or like whatever. Now they've been through like both the ICO boom. And they've been through like the DeFi tokens and they haven't launched a token like, oh, Antonio must just be super anti-token. But I feel like I'm not like, and I, I truly believe like what I said before, like I, I think the way to make DYDX or any product, a decentralized product like massive in the long term uh, is what I said to, to find product, really strong product market fit and to really have a product that you truly believe will be able to scale and will be able to grow um, with a lot of the fuel you can uh, throw on the fire uh, with kind of a, a token and potentially liquidity mining. I would say that. And then also just to, to finish up, like I think a lot of the stuff that's going on with decentralized governance, like I said, is really interesting as well. One of the really important things that we're going to be focusing on at DYDX over the next like 12 to 18 months is full decentralization of the protocol. Like I uh, touched on briefly before, right now DYDX is what's known as a hybrid decentralized exchange, which means we have some centralized components 
in some decentralized components, the, the centralized components being the order book and matching engine. And the reason we do that for now is just for performance reasons for the most part, but we're really gonna be focusing on decentralizing those components and also handing over uh, just control of DYDX to the community um, over the next like 12 to 18 months. I think V3 is really just uh, approaching the problem that I was mentioning before of like trying to come out with a product that is really amazing, that has really strong product market fit that users want to use, you know, whether there's a token or not, or whether there's like strong growth incentives to use it. And I, I think DYDX has been at the forefront of DeFi for a while now. Um, you know, obviously Uniswap has grown like more than we have in the past year or so, and they have an amazing product and I think it's great um, for their use case. Um, but for us, like we're going out after a bit of a, a separate market in terms of the more advanced traders. And it just takes a little bit longer, um, I think, to build like more advanced financial products and to build like a, a really like first class exchange that that is really sophisticated. Um, and I think we've been somewhat successful with it so far. Um, I mean, we've been doing, uh, as you kind of touched on before, just I think we did like around like a billion dollars in volume in January or so. And that's awesome, um, but we're not satisfied with that. You know, we want to have a product that will scale to like hundreds of millions of dollars a day before we even have a token or before we even have like decentralized governance. And if we have that, and then we put a token on top of that, um, which is what we're going to be focusing on more, say like over the summer or so, and, and no guarantees or anything like that, because, you know, who knows what's going to happen with the product launch and stuff like that. But that's where how I think we really make DYDX huge. Well, Antonio Giuliano, founder of DYDX, we really appreciate you coming on the show today to break down what you're anticipating for DYDX going forward, V3, and the rest of it. Hope to have you on again soon. Take it easy. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on and all the great questions. I really appreciate it. I think it was a great chat.